Blackbeard, Sir Francis Drake, Henry Morgan. Who doesn't love stories about daring pirates? In the age of the great geographical discoveries, they were the masters of the seas, instilling fear on merchant ships. But in our time of the internet, space satellites, and aircraft carriers, it is difficult these days to imagine a Jolly Roger fluttering in the breeze. However, from 2005 to 2015, maritime piracy cost the world billions of dollars. The threat had reached such proportions that the major powers had to join forces to fight the sea robbers. In this episode of How It Was, we'll explore how an entire pirate empire grew up on Somalia's desolate shores and how modern-day pirates collected their ransom. The origins of piracy in Somalia are rooted in the history of this country. Until 1960, Somalia was a European colony. A military coup took place nine years after independence. General Mohamed Siad Barre came to power. Having enlisted the support of the USSR, he took a course towards building socialism. At the same time, he banned the opposition, created a personality cult, and then unleashed a war against neighboring Ethiopia, which was also an ally of the USSR. This adventure ended with the loss of Soviet support, defeat in the war, and the subsequent economic collapse and humanitarian crisis. Barre's popularity declined, and soon, the regime faced open armed resistance from the opposition. The conflict with neighbors gradually developed into a civil war. In the 1990s, after Barre's flight, the country descended further into chaos. It was very difficult to earn money through honest labor in such condition. 90% of the residents were unemployed. Only the fishermen managed to make ends meet. The Somali coastline overlooks the Gulf of Aden, considered a fish-rich area, but that changed with the arrival of foreign fishing vessels. Flotillas of trawlers engaged in illegal fishing quickly devastated the bay. Somali fishermen in dilapidated boats could not compete with them. Besides, the Italian mafia had turned Somalia's coastal waters into a toxic waste dump. Every year they brought radioactive debris here. By the 1990s, the bay had become so polluted that a significant part of the fish died and the remaining fish became targets for poachers. Since there was no government or police in the country to protect them, Somali fishermen decided to take matters into their own hands. I became a fisherman in ale in Puntland like my father, even though I still dreamt of working for a company. That never happened as the Somali government was destroyed in 1991 and the country became unstable. At sea, foreign fishing vessels often confronted us. Some had no license. Others had permission from the Puntland authorities, but did not want us to compete. They would destroy our boats and force us to flee for our lives. I started to hijack these fishing boats in 1998. For our first captured ship, we got $300,000. With the money, we bought AK-47s and small speedboats. I don't know exactly how many ships I have captured since then, but I think it's about 60. So said Assad Abdullahi, a former fisherman who became one of the pirate bosses in an interview with The Guardian. The first successful raids on poaching vessels inspired the rest of the fishermen. More and more of them began to exchange fishing nets for machine guns. Quite quickly, the targets of the attacks were not only poachers, but also large merchant ships plying along the coast of Somalia. The Puntland region, considered to be the homeland of Somali pirates, borders the Gulf of Aden, it is the shortest sea route between Europe and Asia. More than 20,000 ships, with oil and goods for the European market, sail here annually. It is an ideal spot for sea raids. Since the days when Somalia was under the auspices 
of the Soviet Union, large stocks of Soviet weapons remained in the country. For those Somalis who chose to become pirates, it was not difficult to get old Kalashnikov assault rifles and even hand grenade launchers. Light boats with an outboard motor allowed them to catch up with almost any ship. By the early 2000s, the pirate fishery was already on stream. There was no need for the pirates to patrol the sea. Accomplices from neighboring harbors informed them about ships going to the bay. Having received the necessary information, the armed pirates boarded one or more boats and set off in pursuit. Warning shots were fired at the ship's crew. If the sailors did not immediately give up, the pirates used ladders with hooks to climb aboard. In the beginning, the only problem for pirates were ships with high sides and high speed ships. Capturing them in small boats was almost impossible, especially under the powerful pressure of water poured down from above upon the unexpected guests. If the pirates did manage to get on board, they rarely met resistance. They would send the captured ship to one of the port cities of Ale or Garakad in eastern Somalia, and while professional negotiators discussed the terms of the ransom with the vessel owners, the captive crew lived on board under strict supervision for months, sometimes even years. The ransom amount, as a rule, ranged from 300000 to $1.5 million, although in 2011, the pirates managed to get a record $13.5 million when they hijacked the Greek supertanker Irene SL with 2 million oil barrels on board. Since almost all raider operations were sponsored, the pirates paid back part of the profits to investors and divided the rest amongst themselves. The heyday of piracy came between 2008 and 2011. During this time, according to some estimates, piracy brought in up to $650 million. The sharp influx of money had a beneficial effect on the economy of Puntland. This was especially noticeable in the city of Ale, the unofficial pirate capital. Many restaurants and brothels opened where pirates could spend the money they earned. They bought expensive cars, built luxurious mansions, and lived like kings compared to the rest of the Somalis. Piracy had become the most popular occupation in the country. Any Somali boy, when asked, what do you want to become when you grow up, answered confidently, a pirate. The number of people directly involved in the seizure of the ships was small, but there were many other roles in the pirate industry. The number of people who make the first attack is small, normally from seven to 10. They go out in powerful speedboats, armed with heavy weapons, but once they seize the ship, about 50 pirates stay on board the vessel, and about 50 more wait on shore in case anything goes wrong, a resident of the pirate capital told BBC journalists. If pirates could afford a luxurious lifestyle, the boost in prices hit the rest of Puntland's population hard, forcing them to join the lucrative industry. In the eyes of most residents, pirates were not criminals. On the contrary, they were heroes who defended Somali waters from the encroachment of outsiders. The pirates themselves felt the same way, claiming that the required ransom was a sea tax. After all, there was no government in the country to control the sea routes. The pirates grew more and more reckless every year. They did not refrain from attacking even the ships that were carrying humanitarian aid to their compatriots. The area of attacks also significantly expanded. Cargo ships could not feel safe even in neutral waters far from the coast of Somalia. In 2010, pirates hijacked the Russian tanker Moscow University, 930 kilometers off the coast. 
When it became clear that it would not be possible to repel the attack, the crew barricaded themselves in the engine room. While the pirates were on board, the captain called the Russian warship Marshal Shapozhnikov for help. After 20 hours, it arrived at the scene, and the marines recaptured the ship. According to the official version, they released the unlucky pirates by dropping them into an inflatable boat with a food supply. But after the incident, videos appeared on the network with Russian military men shooting at a boat filled with people. The authenticity and authorship of these videos remain unknown, but they gave rise to a new version that the pirates were simply shot. The problem with pirates also affected Ukraine. In September 2008, the MV Faina, a Ukrainian cargo ship, was seized. 17 of its 21 crew members were Ukrainians. The vessel transported Soviet tanks, anti-aircraft guns, and grenade launchers to Kenya. Only the payment of a ransom of $3,200,000 returned the crew home. Fearing capture, the owners of ships passing through the Gulf of Aden began to hire armed guards. Usually a few rounds of machine guns are enough to force the pirates to turn towards the shore. But despite the increased risks, there were enough people who wanted to make easy money. There were 30 schools in Puntland where they were taught how to be a pirate. Pirates have become a real headache for trading companies. Insurance companies have raised insurance premiums several times on ships passing through the Gulf of Aden. Ship owners had to spend millions of dollars on security and additional fuel due to their accelerated speed. The families of the captured sailors also had a hard time. Under the threat of never seeing their relatives again, they were forced to seek money for ransom. And the longer the negotiations dragged on, the worse the pirates treated their captive. Torture and beatings were commonplace, and if the ransom could not be negotiated, prisoners were shot. One of the hostages, Filipino sailor Amal Barbero, said they were only given small amounts of water and felt like the walking dead by the end of their ordeal. They managed to survive by eating rat. The 26 sailors were seized on board their ship in 2012 and were eventually taken to Somalia. They remained in captivity for almost five years until a ransom was finally paid for them. Two of the sailors subsequently died of illnesses. One of the best-known cases was the pirate attack on the American cargo ship Maersk, Alabama. Most of the crew managed to lock themselves in the engine room and take control of the vessel from the steering gear room. As the ordeal continued, the crew captured one of the Somalis. Three other pirates left the ship, kidnapping Captain Phillips to use as their bargaining ship. Five days later, the US Navy SEALs attacked the lifeboat and rescued Captain Richard Phillips. Snipers killed the three pirates. Later in Hollywood, they made a film about it starring Tom Hanks. The same Navy SEALs team that participated in the rescue of Phillips killed Osama bin Laden two years later. Over time, the United Nations could no longer ignore the pirate raids. As a result, a resolution was signed to combat piracy in the Arabian Sea. More than 40 countries came together to solve this problem once and for all. The anti-piracy campaign was named Operation Atalanta. Soon, the Gulf of Aden began to resemble a military training site. Warships from the United States, France, Canada, China, Russia, and other countries patrolled the local waters, protecting merchant ships and hunting pirates. At the same time, the European Union formed an effective coast guard consisting of local soldiers. Soon, they were joined by a special squad funded by sheikhs from the United Arab Emirates. Interested in keeping their oil tankers safe, they hired instructors from the private military company Blackwater and those in a short time created the best combat unit in this part of Africa. While warships were catching pirates at sea, a private army 
cleared out pirate bases on the coast. At the peak of pirate activity in 2010 to 2013, pirates managed to capture more than 100 ships annually. In 2016, this figure dropped to zero. Since the beginning of Operation Atalanta, the military has detained about 1,400 Somali pirates. Many of them were given life sentences in prison. To contain them somewhere, the UN built a separate jail for pirates in Puntland, but most of them settled on a tiny island in the Seychelles archipelago in the Indian Ocean. Within the walls of a comfortable prison, pirates spend their time playing football, working in the garden, and receiving an education that they were deprived of at home. After the pirate business began to decline, Puntland fell upon hard times. The port city of Ale seems to be deserted. The once vibrant pirate capital has turned into a backwoods town. Many buildings are boarded up with planks across the windows. Piracy was the primary source of income for its residents. Now the families of pirates, killed or imprisoned, are struggling to make ends meet. The international coalition rid the Gulf of Aden of pirates, but now poachers have returned. Fishing trawlers from Iran, Yemen and Spain are again emptying local waters. If this does not stop, we will have to look for an alternative. Whether it is piracy or joining up with Islamic radicals, it is easy for members of Al-Shabaab, a local affiliate of Al-Qaeda, to convince unemployed youth to join them, one of the Somali fishermen told reporters. Although passions around pirates have subsided in recent years, and it is believed that the phenomenon has been eradicated, rare raids still occur. On December 5, 2020, two motorboats attacked a merchant ship sailing to Amman. Thanks to the signal for help and the Spanish combat frigate's quick reaction, the ship's capture was prevented. But this incident shows that it is too early to talk about a complete victory over piracy in the Arabian Sea. As long as violence and unemployment reign in the country, the problem will not be resolved entirely. But in recent years, there has been hope for the country. The Somali diaspora, well-educated people who have lived in developed countries for a long time, are returning en masse to their native land, willing to build a prosperous state on the ruins. In February 2020, a president was elected in Mogadishu and a cabinet was appointed. With the advent of educated people to power, the country has a chance of recovery and the Somalis have an opportunity to get a decent job without having to pick up a machine gun and raise a black flag.